Hey, everybody. Hello, everybody. It's me. And, and me. You. It's we. You and me. Yeah. Oh, now it's so a you and me together. or me and you, uh, Jeff and Dave, yeah. Dave and Jeff, Dave and kind, Jeff. Of, kind of thing. Maybe we should come up with a portmanteau. A what? A portmanteau. That's a word that is created from two other words. Oh. So, like... Uh, that would be deaf. Yeah. Or or jave. <laughs> deaf or jave. Yeah. Sort of like Benifer, when Ben Affleck and Jennifer, whatever, whoever it was. Oh, that's right. Benifer. The first one of that yeah. was... Uh, oh, the girl who was the... Uh, Daughter of the guy who was in Midnight Cowboy and Joe. Uh, yeah. Do I really want uh, the whole listening audience to just hear the decline yeah. of my mind? <laughs> decline. We are listening to the decline of David Kleinschmidt. Oh, she was the Tomb Raider. Oh, Angelina Jolie. Thank you. And then Brad. Brad Pitt. Yeah. And they called him Brand Brangela. Brangela. Brand? Did they? No. <laughs> Joe. I think you're right. There, there yeah. was some combo. Yeah. Name. Pit Jolie. Pit, pit. I don't know. Doesn't matter. All I know is what's coming up is much more interesting than our silly banter. Well, what is coming up today on the show, Jeff? We are lucky. And uh, thank you for setting up this interview with Andy Rogers. You're welcome. Who is the lead designer, chief like, mucky muck for yeah. uh, Hatton and Flames. Hatton and Flames. Very Honored to speak with him from uh, Canberra, Canberra, Australia. He took a little time off work to talk to us, which is super nice, and it's a great interview. I think you all will enjoy it. Yeah, and I hope I hope he calls us uh, Dave and Jeff at some point, and not Jeff and Dave, but yeah. you'll have to listen to find out, listeners. <laughs> well, let's see. He's in Australia, so he, he would, was in the he morning would call tomorrow. us J- Jeff and Dave, I think, in Australia. Oh, you, say you think? Northern Hemisphere, it's Dave and Jeff. Oh. Maybe we should do it like that. <laughs> let's end this fight and just call it like that. We can do that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, here's this uh, terrific interview. Hope you enjoy it. It's the two half squads calling. Yes. Would you accept hey, a? Andy Rogers, yeah, Australia. Will you accept a collect call from the two half squads? <laughs> I I will. I will. I'll claim this as a tax deduction. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, Andy Rogers. It is. Uh, can we call you Andy, or is it is Andrew better? No, no, no. I work. Uh, I'm in defense. Work with a lot of Americans, so Andrew quickly became Andy. So oh, I'm happy with that. Okay, very good. Well, it's nice to talk with you, and and uh, uh, you're down in Canberra, Australia, and we're in Chicago. And isn't technology wonderful? It's 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 awesome. Uh, we well couldn't have got this uh, particular ASL module up without it. Oh yes. Uh, when we were when when we were going through the uh, play testing of it, we had Klaus in um, in Sweden, myself in Australia, and Perry and uh, Chaz in the East Coast, and a couple other people. It was amazing. Went round the world twenty four seven each day trying to get it play tested and edited. Wow, it is amazing. Yeah, and uh, probably didn't have to send. Did you send stuff through the mail for that, or did you? Was everything by, you know, just email and PDFs and faxes and things like that? Yeah, that's a really good question. The, 
the initial submission I, I insisted that I mailed to MMP mm. um, so they could actually get a good look and feel. But after that, it was it was all all via email, all via email and Skype calls and um, and uh, documents passed through the internet, drop boxes, the whole works. Mm, yeah, yeah. So tell tell us a little about. Boy, I don't know where to even start. It's always no. Hard to know where to start. Cause Could always start with the idea for the yeah, project. How did, this, how did this all come up about? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I put together about three submissions, uh, different parts of different uh, uh, ASL modules. One, one, one in the Pacific, one on the uh, Eastern Front, and and Hatton. And I always knew Chaz had a bit of a liking to Hatton, so I always thought that was the go. So I did a whole lot of research. I had a year off work in um, 2007 when my eldest son got fairly sick. He's he's all good now. Okay. So I had a year off work looking after him. And, and during that time, in between hospital visits, I did a whole lot of research on, a, on, on those three in, encounters. And um, Hatton always appealed to me because it, it had you know, that combined arms feel, it had both sides attacking and it was a real pivotal battle in a in a in a campaign called Nor Nordwind, which happened south of the Battle of the Bulge, which not a lot of people knew about. So all those factors combined made it a really interesting research. And then a few years later I had enough time again to design the map. So that's yeah. the sort of genesis of it. Yeah. It's a really interesting. I, I had not read about it before, but I read a little of the history of the action that occurred there, and it's really a sad and tra tragic story for the residents of Hatton, who were probably for the most of the war thinking they'd sort of escaped the worst of it, and even when they were liberated by the Allies in late 1944, they probably thought they'd gotten off scot-free and the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. This the, the, the residents of Hatton, I mean, they always knew the war was close because the Maginot Line runs through it. Yeah. So for the residents, they always knew about war, and, and obviously the First World War, there would be some survivors of that. But like you said, they would have thought the war had passed them by at this stage. So it was very, un, uh, um, very unusual. And also the speed of the German counterattack meant that they were trapped inside the, the village and they spent most of the village, the battle in the cellars. And given the amount of artillery, especially in the second week of the battle, the, the, the campaign game covers the first week, but in the second week, the amount of artillery was like World War One, and, and unfortunately a lot of citizens uh, got caught up in that. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was a tragedy for them. And, and I think the stats had, like, of the 300-odd buildings in Hatton, nearly 80 or 90% of them were damaged in one way or not. Wow. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. So was this an action that you were familiar with a little bit through just through historical studies and then you kind of zeroed in on it as a likely candidate? Yeah, I, I was initially... I, I, I zeroed in on the campaign. Initially, I bought a couple of books on the battle that took place a few weeks early called Wigan, which I know Critical Hitter put out a, a, a product on. So I was familiar with engagements, but I was looking for one which had that ebb and 
slow, mm. um, where both sides got a chance to attack. Because I know if you want to play a campaign game or buy a module, it's not a small impost either in time or money. So if you play one side, you, you want to have the ability to attack. You don't want to sit and you know get smashed every day. So so that's why Hatton appealed. Um, you had that sort of chance to attack from both sides. Right. You're not just you're not just setting yourself up as a defender for 115 turns or whatever. <laughs> exactly right. And, yeah. and you know trying to hold on to the last couple of key buildings. Right. While while maintaining 10 percent of your force. Uh, so the good thing about Hatton is you get toys on both sides, um, you know, a bit of chrome, um, you know, but you, you, you get to attack. So you, you're always looking for opportunities to counterattack either within the, the scenario or, or for next turn. So that that's kind of cool. And when you uh, came up with the idea, did you did you know it would be campaign size and it would be big enough for a module or... Were you originally just thinking it might be a series of scenarios that were linked together somehow? Yeah, that's a that's that's a really good question. So when I designed it, um, I think the early conversations with MMP is, although it's fairly time consuming, they always want a product which has a a campaign game in it. But I was just mindful that most of the campaign games out there are, are kind of huge designs. So and and most people nowadays and gamers coming up now have so many different games they can choose from because there's a lot of really good board games out there. Mm. Leaving leaving aside every all, all the games you can play on your, you know, on your M, on on your video games that you can play. So I wanted to design something that was slightly smaller and more compact, so you you people who are, have much busier lives now could play a game, play some good scenarios. But not have to commit two years to it. I and so with that in mind, I could have designed you know the, something the size of some of the uh, red barricade stuff and had both the villages, two huge map boards, and like fifty vehicles and a hundred squads either side. But I chose not to do that. I just focused on Hatton. Um, uh, there, a lot of the interesting fighting occurred there. There's some interesting fighting in the neighbouring village of Rittershofen, but I just focus on that to make it a little bit more playable and manageable. Probably a good idea. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah so each campaign game is only five turns. It could go to six, um, but there's a lot to do in those turns because you have a few vehicles. Right. And there's two two different campaign games in it. Correct. Yeah, Hatton Breakthrough is number two, and Hatton in Flames is number one. And if it says like, if a campaign game has three days listed on it, because um, I have not played campaigns, Jeff, you have not. No. Um, does that mean it's going to automatically be shorter? Well, all all it is is really it's in essence it's a five day campaign game, but just in case people had a little bit of a short time. Essentially, you, you utilise most of the same mecha- mechanics, but you just focus on the initial German attack, which occurred in the first three days. So what the shorter one is, it's just a condensed version of the five-day campaign game. The, the dynamics are pretty much the same, and most people that I know when they commit to the Hatton campaign game 
play the full five days. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just, just uh, before I forget, I have to I have to tell you an interesting story about the map design. Yes. Do. So, like I said, I did the research in 0708, and then I got to designing the map. and And it was I was in 2012, and I worked for Defence, and as a civilian analyst in counterterrorism, I um, deployed to an Australian base in Afghanistan, and worked long days there in Afghanistan. It was I didn't go outside the wire; I was just on base, so it's quite safe. But after a sort of a long 12-hour day, you needed to unwind. So I just got out my laptop before I went to bed and um, designed the map board there. So I, I think this might be the only map, campaign map or ASL map designed in Afghanistan. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah, so I submitted it when I got back from deployment. It was just a short deployment, just four months, and... Um, yeah, it was the only way you needed to unwind after a long day. Oh, I'm sure. Instead of working in those environments, and uh, that was it. Looked kind of strange. My laptop. A lot of soldiers sort of walked by when I was in the sort of common area and asked what I was working on. They thought it was real military work, but it was. I had to explain oh. to them it, it <laughs> might look like a real map, but it wasn't. <laughs> Does it translate easily from the historical photographs into the hexes? Usually, or oh yeah, it was, it was kind of lucky. I think uh, the the uh, raw materials were quite good. There was a, a, a survey. The French did a detailed survey of the area, so it was a good topographical map just before the war, and just after the war, the French um, in nineteen fifty did an aerial survey of the whole country. Um, so you've got, and there was also a couple of. There was more than a couple of photos. The aerial photo t- taken during the war, during the battle, wasn't that clear. But in 1950, the village hadn't changed much, and so there's some excellent, excellent aerial photography, and it fits in really nicely the the the, the village onto the map. I think it's pretty much a close close to one for one the size of the village to the map. So that was really good. Yeah, excellent. And were you able and, to and do... My, uh, and like my... Sorry, go on. I was just going to ask if you did all of your research for that. You were able to find all that stuff on the internet? Yeah, yeah. That, mm. Like I said, I had a bit of time. I had a year off work, and so that gave me yeah. a bit of time to trawl the internet for all, all that material. There was... we. I, I hired a researcher, being in Australia, couldn't get down to the American National Archives. So I hired a researcher... He didn't charge too much, and he got two and a half thousand um, pages photocopied for me of all the American original um, journal um, uh, records of all the all the units that fought in the battle, and so that was really good. So I had all the raw materials there. There's some good reference books, and like I said before, I had the the topographical map and the aerial photography. So that was really good. The other bonus was this was. At the time I was doing my research, Google Maps went through the area during winter. So the actual Google images of the street view was was of uh, Hatton in, in winter with a light covering of snow, which was the exact representation of the battle. So that was pretty fantastic too, and they, they covered the village really well. Wow. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. 
modern technology and all that. We covered that earlier. Yeah, right. Well, I've, I have never written a historical novel or done any anything like that. I've always thought that the fun of a historical novel would be doing all the research. And I got to think that at least a good chunk of the fun of designing this was doing all of the detailed research and then picking out the bits that would fit into uh, your goal of designing this thing. Oh, Spot, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the two tedious things but ultimately when when you finish them about the project was endless play testing of the campaign game that was that's particularly painful and for those that are doing it at the moment for other other modules that are in design i do not envy that when you play essentially when you play, play the same thing three or four times that can get a bit dull but you mm. want to create a good product the other thing I did was design a website. Um, it's called www.hatton1945.com. Oh, you designed it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I designed it. So, like I said, it was it was a, it was initially a labour of love doing the the research, but then putting it on writing it all up. Yeah, it can get a bit it can get a bit tough, but um, it's a good read and has a lot of good pictures and good maps in it. And um, I've tried to make it interactive as well. So Hatton1945.com is worth a quick look. Definitely. We've, we've looked at it just briefly because um, we just learned of it. And we will definitely put it in the show notes so that people have the link there. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. no, we'll, we'll, thanks we'll... for that. But you, just to circle back to your original point, yeah, playing the scenarios was fun. Campaign game good to design because we, we, I, I, I took the liberty to um, have a few little different things from a traditional MMP campaign game, so that was fun. But then playtesting it got a bit got a tying in the end. Yeah. Yeah, was there ever a point when you thought you would just uh, just forget the whole project? Just You just wanted, couldn't, could barely look at it or think about it anymore? Um, the we at the point when we hopefully in the next journal or next MMP publication there's a large scenario coming up which coming out which covers the whole battle. When I went to play test that, which is essentially you know the whole first week of Hatton in one scenario, that that I hit the wall then. So I think there isn't there a runners. <laughs> When runners hit the wall in the marathon, I hit the wall. Yeah. And I think my playtesting <laughs> opponent did. He's a very polite guy um, named Sean. Excellent, excellent dude, but he hit the wall like yeah. I did. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask because my, my history has been no campaign games, but I do like to play the very, very large scenario, like last bid, first bid. Jeff and I did the one from... Oh, the British game with the bridge, remember, Jeff? Yeah. And there, yeah. so that's not, I noticed none of these scenarios use the entire board. Yep. So you're saying that's so, coming, huh? Yeah, absolutely. So there was some discussion to get it into the module. Um, MMP decided that they'd save it for a subsequent journal. 
Mm. I've got another submission to MMP, an action pack, which will contain another scenario. So, yeah, so there should be some Hatton scenarios and hopefully the big one coming out soon. That'll, that that suits people like yourself who probably le- a little less interested in the mechanics of a campaign game but like the large scenario. So that should be excellent for that. Oh, very good. Although I was thinking um, this will be the one I jump in on and do a actual campaign game. Maybe we should do that. <laughs> if the big scenario comes out, maybe that will stop me <laughs> yeah. from doing the... Yeah, game. yeah. So, what? What? Just on that campaign, I, if you go to the the size of the rules, I deliberately try to cut back some of those, all those special rules that you get in campaign games. So mm-hmm. it only, the this campaign game only has fifteen pages of of rules and orders of battle, whereas I think the previous two MMP products were well above 40, north of 40. So we've tried to scale it back and, and say you can just open the box up and get the campaign game or the scenarios starting from the get-go without having to read too many special rules and stuff. So this would could be a good one for listeners to start off with, you think? As uh, I'd, I'd argue that, and, and it's been supported that sort of concept if you read i'm not a i'm not huge at reading blogs and stuff forums and stuff like that but that would seem to be the sentiments in those places that you can get start playing pretty quickly and you get it you also play and you've got both sides have got tanks and the artillery is fairly minimal too not 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 a uh, hugely burdensome and um and the rules about picking what forces you want are a little bit more straightforward. So, yeah, I'd argue that it's a it's a good way to get started on if you want to give it a go. And the other thing is, sorry, the other thing is each each campaign day is usually just five turns, which means that you know you shouldn't need to, if you to endlessly keep it set up at home or whatever. So that works as well. Right. Uh, so. Um... How long had you worked on this? How, what? How long did the whole process take? Yeah, so I think I'd say about four four years. Um, there's not a huge. There's some really good players in Australia, but not a huge amount. So you couldn't really outsource the play testing. So it was about a year to design. You know, a year worth of research, a year to design. And then three to four years of play testing. I mean, if I had more players to access, you probably could have got the play testing done a bit quicker. The benefit, though, was the sort of um, play testing it over three, three, four years. Um, most of that time's actually in the camp- campaign game. So the scenarios got largely play tested, the eight of them, within six months. So they're all pretty solid, and, and they, according to Raw, they play test quite well. The thing that takes all your time is the campaign game. Yeah. You know, I, you're playing it once a week for for two or three years if you want hmm. to get multiple playing. Hmm. Yeah. And that seems, uh, actually, four years seems like actually uh, pretty fast <laughs> these <laughs> compared days. to some of the way some of the things that we've talked about some of the other modules especially that we've talked about over the years so 
congratulations on getting it done so quickly. Yeah, yeah. Though, though you got to. I think it's circle back to my earlier point. Um, that was done deliberately. If I if I had the camp, if I if I set out to do the battle and cover off the battle both in Hatton and the neighbouring village of Ritterschoffen, because the battle is often referred to as the Battle of Hatton dash Ritterschoffen. They're referred to sometimes as the twin villages. Ah, okay. A bit like. The, the twin cities in 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 Minnesota, um, and you could have done it that. In, in which case, it would have been an eight year project, and you would have had two maps. And but the problem with that is, is you would have had, um, you know, a hundred squads aside and thirty or forty vehicles, and it it would have taken forever for anybody to play. Right. So I was just focusing, and and it would have. I would have would have cost me any relationships I had <laughs> as well. Both 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 personal and play testers. Yeah. And so uh yes. after four years you got this thing, it came up for sale finally on MMP website. That must have been a pretty good feeling when when it finally went to press and started shipping. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. So a, a big kudos to the the editorial process, and both from a map design perspective and the rules and everything is absolutely outstanding from MMP. Um, so that that wasn't a small undertaking as well. I think I think my email crashed a few times with all the files going <laughs> yeah. to and to and from. So excellent map design. The, the, the snow-covered field, that originally wasn't, that wasn't in submission, so that was a, a call by the MME, MMP crew and the, the map designer, Charlie. So that was fantastic. Oh, and got... then the, 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 the detail in terms of the final editing by MMP crew, again, on the rules, getting them right. I don't think, I mean, there's always a few errors. The errors aren't major. I mean, there's some errata out there, but nothing... Too big. None of the scenarios have had to change. None of the campaign game rules have to change to to the degree where it's changed any dynamics in the rules. So, and that's a reflection of their editing process, which is outstanding. Klaus and Chaz Perry and others. So, big thank you to them. Yes, where's oh, where's yeah, the your list of <laughs> development is uh, Klaus Malmstrom. Yes. Is he in uh, Europe? In Sweden. I don't think I'm giving away too many secrets there. And We should probably had... interview him sometime. Yeah, we should. Um... Oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just hit him up in one of the forums. He's always he's always there on the forums. So, yeah, and that's fantastic. Okay. And then J.R. Tracy, we did interview. He's from New yep. York. What did, yep. what, did, what did he contribute exactly? Do you know? Uh, he, he, yeah, JR keeps across most of the development, and 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 he was involved in the editing process, um, and so a big thank you to him as well. And then Perry, yep. of course, we interviewed Perry a couple times, and Chaz doesn't really want to talk, I don't think, on the air, Argent. But of course, uh, he, well, he's he... the main mover, right, of all the MMP products. Oh yeah, they, I mean, it plays a, a key role, and yeah, I dealt mostly with Chaz, 
Um, so you know, he's fa- he was fantastic to to deal with. So it was um, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it was a great combined effort, and my a, a pr- great pre- appreciation goes out to them. And you used two yeah. uh, ASL clubs in in Canberra and one in Sydney. Yeah, so the the two two clubs there was there's a there's a smattering of other clubs in each of the main towns. There's a a group of players that might gather, um, but the Canberra has probably the most active regular gathering of ASL players, uh, sort of weekly to fortnightly. There are three or four games that are going. In Sydney, it's a bit more monthly, so. Um, it, ASL used to be, you know, the main game a, a group of guys would play, but all the new games that are coming out now, GMT and other games, there's coin games, there's uh, so many strategy games, there's so many fantastic games out there that ASL tends to get people get together more to play in tournaments. There's the main tournaments in Canberra in late January, and there's a couple of other smaller tournaments throughout Australia. Um, and that's when people mostly play their ASL during tournaments nowadays, and online as well. Right, right. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, Vassal. Right. Um, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, he, I think it's kept the hobby alive. I don't know what your thoughts are on that one. I think that's true. Uh, we know actually quite a few players. We have talked to quite a few players over the years that only play by Vassal. They never get a chance to play face by, face-to-face. And, uh, yeah, definitely it's been great. Yeah, we happen to have many people around here. I, we, I have so many, I, I don't have time to actually game with them all. They would be willing to play a game of uh, ASL. And I have two new guys I'm trying to teach the game to. So, and of course, I'm doing the D and D and the miniatures on the weekends. So I'm trying to shoot for weeknights, which isn't always convenient for others. Like Rich Bookie likes to play Saturdays, and then yep. my new guys, um, I'm gonna have to try and yeah cram them in on a weeknight with some short scenarios to, to teach them, and hopefully uh, they'll like it. One, one guy played once already, but we're very lucky to have so many people around. Yeah, live live bodies yeah, to play. That's good. I mean. It's interesting what you say about short scenarios because if you go back to the original ASL releases, all the scenarios could usually were north of seven turns, eight turns, nine turns. Mm-hmm, yeah, a lot more pieces. So with the hat, the good thing about Hatton is try to keep it down so you can play it in an evening. You know, slightly five, six turn ones. You know, between ten to twelve squads, a couple of vehicles aside. Try and get it. You know. So you could finish it in an evening because people, you know, can play different things. Like you said, uh, I, I, I'm free to admit I'll play a bit of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I love it. So. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, a lot of choices out there. So you, you got to be a little bit. Feels like you have to be competitive with your designs a bit. You know, make it interesting and um, right. so that people. Yeah, and uh, we always like to get to this at some point, but maybe you could tell us a little uh, your gaming background in general and how you got into ASL and the whole history. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think I think I was one of the I, – I got into the original squad leader back in the early 80s. So I've still got some 
original squad leader pieces, the old prep fire counters and such like, which I like to, to bring out. So I, I'm I'm a lifelong player and um, got advanced squad leader when it first came out and played in tournaments since the early 90s and I now run the main tournament in Canberra. I've been doing that for about 15 years. So been fairly dedicated um so that's my main board game but um during that time also did a lot of um Dungeons and Dragons ironically with my old schoolmates um for you know a couple of de- decades once yeah. a fortnight once a week so and have you have you been so, through all the versions all the various iterations of Dungeons and Dragons yeah, well, if you wanted to double up on this podcast, you <laughs> could go through that. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so, <laughs> good. Yeah, mostly second edition, but no, I enjoyed um, third and fourth, less so fifth. Um, oh, interesting. But, um, yeah, definitely. But um, the main board game has been always been squad leader because I like to because I've been involved in the design of it designed a few scenarios i've got a few um new uh submissions in um around some other battles so i've always been my main focus board game wise has always been this one squad leader such a fun system and everything yeah, that's where I'm at too. And again, we can talk. Jeff and I talk about all these other. Well, we got to get together and play Lord of the Rings Risk and play this Battle of the Five Armies I have. And then I have this Betrayal on Hill House or something that my daughter had us had me buy and we played it once. And it just did it. It's not enough time. I I was talking with um, a friend at the Comic Con. Jeff went with his wife Robin and our friend Mike. We all met there, and Mike and I were talking, walking around there about all these TV shows at this Comic-Con. Jeff and his wife yep. were hearing the panel talk about a show called Charmed. Charmed, yeah. And how yep. I had, had not seen any of this, and they had seen all of them. And <laughs> I kind of said to Mike Rizzi, it's almost like you need multiple lives. <laughs> you know, in one life you can spend it watching all the TV shows you want to see. Then then the next life, yep. 80 years, you'll spend it gaming all the games you want. Want to play? Might take more than eighty years these days with all the games. Yeah. So, I'm I'm a bit of a sports fan as well, like oh, like yeah. a lot of Australians wow, yeah. like our sport. If you throw in live sport, yeah. And I I I'd have to say there was a, a sporting contest, uh, a cricket, which obviously you Americans wouldn't know much about. If I say cricket, that's played between Australia and England. Hmm. So it's a fierce rivalry. It's played every couple of years, and it they had it. It's over in England at the moment. So I was up until one thirty this morning our time, watching the last ball being bowled or pitched <laughs> of, of an epic encounter. Um, so leaving aside all the all the regular TV, you've got live sport as well. Right. Which Jeff avoids pretty well. I I, I do avoid it because I you know I need to leave time for the ladies. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. he means family. <laughs> no, no, the la- you know, exactly the, right. yeah, the ladies. Yeah. Well, you and you managed to have a family amidst all of that, didn't you, Andy? How do I, huh? makes you wonder, doesn't it? How do we do it? 
Um, how about your your son? Is he into gaming? Um, so the 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 youngest actually is uh, in the Dungeons and Dragons. He's trying to get a trying to convert some of his uh, school buddies. That he's in year ten. The two older ones do a bit of gaming. Uh, some of the good cool board games that are around uh, Puerto Rico, Settlers of Catan, uh, Carcassonne, some of those sort of resourcey strategy games they play a bit of. Um, but the older two are a bit more into sports so and study, mm. so that's what takes their interest a little bit. Yeah, do they... Uh, but you've tried, I assume. You've tried to get them into ASL? No, not... Not re- no, actually, no, not really. Oh, okay. Um, Good. Yeah, so they were the two older ones. Were did a lot of sport, uh, and they they were, they were pretty solid academically, so they focused on that. And then the younger one, he he always does what Dad doesn't do. Ah, uh, yes. Because I was into. <laughs> so I'm in the ASL. He was never going to play ASL. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just how that 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 personal dynamic works. He's yeah. a good kid. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. So I didn't I, even try. I know it well. <laughs> anyway, getting back to uh, the scenarios. The I scenarios. See, you, yeah. You designed all have. of them. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then were there ones you tried to design and kind of gave up on at all? or? Um, yeah, there were, there were a couple, but but um, I've been designing scenarios for 20, 25 years, so oh. I, I have a pretty good <clears throat> sense when I read a battle or an engagement whether or not it's going to work in ASL terms. So I've got a pretty good success rate that once, once I picked you know, because there were sort of multiple little firefights throughout the whole of Hatton over the course of two, two weeks of fighting, mostly focused on the first week. There are up to 12 to 16 engagements that occurred which were worthy of a scenario, but I, I got down to 10 pretty quickly, and so I had a pretty good success rate. I, eight of the 10 made it into print, and there are two more coming, should be coming out in the next you know, a couple of years and other MMA. So we had a pretty good success rate. And they all they all played out pretty well pretty quickly. So that was really good. Do you have a favorite? I shouldn't ask. That's asking like asking if you have a favorite <laughs> child. child. But do you have a favorite of the scenarios that you did? Yeah, absolutely. So the 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 the, Bato, Bato, the second one, Bertoldo the Brave was cool because um, because of the uh, sort of background, that was where the Medal of Honor was won in 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 this particular engagement. Um, where and, and and just a funny story: the the gentleman that won he was a private at the time, became a sergeant and won the Medal of Honor. Sort of held up the German advance and and allowed them to fall back. Uh, and re the Americans to fall back and regroup and stop the the Germans capturing the whole of the village in one one attack. So that was pretty significant. It plays out pretty good because you know you have to hold off the Germans. The Germans got a lot of lot of 
good equipment, and then the Hellcats can come in and sort of help save the day. So it's a pretty that that would definitely be my favourite. The other favourite, of course, is the one that has the German flame throwing tanks, oh, which yes. is the last one. Mm-hmm. Any, anything with uh, flame throwing tanks is pretty good, and these are these are tough to deal with because they've got. 14 front armour and they're small targets. So the Americans have to really think about how to get rid of them. Yeah, I see the picture of the Flampanzer in on your website in January 1945. Yeah, they had a, they, yeah, they had a fake gun. They didn't actually have a main armament. The main armament was uh, just a 35-power flamethrower, which is pretty nasty. And then Germans didn't build many of these, and they deployed them all in the, around this area. So that was pretty interesting, too, yeah. historically. And those vehicles were already in um, the OBA, right? There's no the special vehicle counters to come with that, correct? No, no. It was kind yeah. of lucky in a way um, they didn't need to design a new counter, so they already had them. And um, although the Germans, like I said, didn't build many of them, just couple of companies worth but they deployed them all in, in around this area um so yeah they're pretty they're pretty effective and you when you read the historical records the they did have a big impact on the american troops so that was um uh do you have a least favorite scenario no <laughs> yeah probably the one that didn't play test that well um yeah, so the one that has the uh, most of them have pretty good raw records. One one didn't. It was the one that has the American half tracks in it. Um, American half tracks are always hard. I wanted a battle that had some of them in. That's uh, got to get out number seven. Oh um, right, yeah. Yeah, see, it's hard to design it because the American half tracks that they have a huge amount of firepower. So if they get going and get rate of fire, you know, these American half-tracks, they can be quite lethal. Mm. But the problem is they can be taken out really easily. So if you're playtesting it, you know, they could be go, they could go in the first turn or if they, they get a bit lucky and survive, um, that they'll just chew you up. So um, it was always hard to playtest, but I had to get one scenario in with them. Yes. Glad you did. So, um there's a special rule. Uh, German AA half tracks may participate in multi-unit fire groups, which usually they can't. Yeah. So if you go to the website and you read the accounts, the the German AA half tracks were almost like a close support weapon. So there's a couple of pictures in them uh, where there, there's destroyed AA half tracks. That they're called these flak wagons with the triple 20 mil guns in them. That's why they get so much firepower. Uh-huh. Um, but it's burnt out wrecks inside of Hatton. So they just didn't sit outside of Hatton and, and in the back areas just as traditional AA records. They used them as close support. So that special rule, rule, rule reflects that. Um, and there's accounts of that as well, where you know um, these half tracks engaged American positions at close quarters. 
And then the um, the tank destroyers and the Americans have one a re- slightly reduced depletion number. So is there some ammunition yeah, so, issues? Yeah, definitely. So there are there, there were two things that counted against the Americans why their artillery wasn't as effective in their um, their tank destroyers, which were in close proximity with the infantry, weren't as effective because there are about four or five different units involved in the defence of these this area and so there was a lot of supply problems. And the half track so the tank destroyer battalions they, they were spread all over the whole province. So they didn't their supply um, supply trains were all mixed up and intermingled. And the other the other issue was Hatton was often was pretty much encircled for a good portion of the first week of the battle. So there were supply issues there. The final issue, although the, the, the troops inside the tank destroyer battalions fought quite bravely, they were fairly poorly trained. So that sort of rule is a sort of reflection of all those dynamics. Yeah, interesting. I always find that so fascinating, and I think it's one of the things I like about ASL, is that it's... When you know a little of the history of what actually went on, and you understand it, you know, most of us understand a general history of World War II, but then you get into some of these details, yep. it it moves the game so far away from just being an abstract exercise in moving counters around and rolling dice. It, it really becomes yep. a historical reenactment that I think that's what makes yeah, it so definitely. inviting. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure, for sure. So hopefully the rules... Didn't want to overwhelm the reader with too many special rules. Yeah. Um, but there's enough in there to just play the game and have fun. So Yeah, but pers- uh, it, it seems like somebody might really uh, gain some benefit by going to your website and reading some of the details behind all of this stuff. It'd give them a better grasp of, of what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely, and it provides a backdrop to some of the scenarios. And, yeah. and the other thing I did I, I did on the website is I've got a lot of the quotes of the soldiers that fought there and just that um, feel of what happened um, uh, during those uh, two, that two-week period, the yeah. sort of fierceness of the attacks and the counterattacks, um, the artillery and so on and so forth. Um some of those comments capture that. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, pr- a pr- pretty tough environment, um, and um, you know a lot of uh, boys lost their lives there. Yeah, and a lot civilians. Yeah. Yeah. How did you? Uh, just a kind of a silly question. There are thousands of ASL scenarios. How do you come up with a name that hasn't already been used? <laughs> That's what I always wonder. Yeah. Like, gotta get yeah, out. Well, I, I gotta think somebody's somewhere. already come up with a gotta get out. Or well, a... okay, so <laughs> the um, the exact because there's literally a quote from um, there when you when you get the historical records there and there's uh, in the if you go to the website in the into the where the photos and the images are there's these little yellow yellow chips which are like uh, 
sticky sticky notes that you might put on your uh, computer screen. They're about that size. And so with these little yellow bits of paper, that's how uh, written orders got communicated from the frontline troops back to headquarters. So they'd write something down. They'd say, they'd give the code name of their unit and they'd write down a like an artillery request or they'd give an assessment of the German forces or whatever. This is the US stuff and they'd send it back home. Those things get got held onto and added to the unit's official history. So, so one poor sergeant, now getting smashed when they were attacking the cemetery, he said, "It's." He literally said, "It's it's piss poor, got to get out." Oh. <laughs> so, he, so it's literally a truncated version of what one of the sergeants said when he was trying to request from his officers that they needed to, in a politely get pull out yeah. or withdraw. Yeah. And then, so I just made sure that that hadn't been used before. I just went to the raw records. Oh, okay. Yeah. You just Yeah, okay. that, that raw site, I guess it does have just about everything in there. Yeah. I, I did, so I just made sure that they hadn't. But that, that had some historical, um, historical, uh, um, some, some relevance and significance on this yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty that good. One, yeah. That's good. And the the there's a little bit in the first scenario, Black Day in Hatton was actually a pun on the German officer. His name is Schwartz, ah. who is leading the German tax. So Schwartz being the uh, German word for black, for I black. think. I hope it is. So that was that little plan <laughs> word there. <laughs> I like that. I think it is. That's how I, I most of my sentences have that. I, I at the end of a sentence, I usually include "I think that's right" instead of a period. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. It saves me. Um, so this went out, uh, started selling, and did you sort of want to sit by the phone and wait for the call from the academy to let you know that, or the Nobel committee? To let you know that, doggone it, this thing is the best thing since sliced whatever. And, uh, like, did you get a call from Perry? We cannot keep this in stock. It's rolling out the no, door so fast. <laughs> yeah. I think most of the MMP people are fairly low-key in terms of... Um, <laughs> Do you think? I just did it. Uh, they get it out the door, then they've got to move on to the next product. Yeah. So um, I understand that mentality. So, like I said before, I don't often go to the forums, but in, in a sense, because there's always a few little bugs in the rules, you, you need to keep an eye on the forums mm. just to to answer any Q and A. Clarify, yeah, yeah. And and it wasn't too bad actually. I don't I don't think the errata's. Too, too much, and none of the errata really changes that I only said earlier. But it was good to see the positive feedback. That that was that was a good thing. And the second the second thing was that was good was the raw the raw record appears to be standing up, which is oh, the seven of the nine, seven of the eight in the campaign games. So which is always a tick. You don't you don't want too many scenarios going like twenty and five or something. Right. Right. Yeah, that's great. That must be very gratifying. Uh, yeah, absolutely. 
well, the, the other thing I think I think you were talking about. We were talking about this earlier. It's like if you if you find some time to play some ASL, the worst thing is you, you dedicate three or four hours. You, you you find a person to play with, and then you get out a scenario, and it turns out to be a, a bit one sided. That can be a bit frustrating. Then, then you then 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 you spend half your time trying to work out what was going through the designer's mind at the time. <laughs> or, or what they were imbibing at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what is yeah, your favorite uh, beverage? What's your beverage of choice? Getting on that topic just for that. Yeah, well, as an Australian, I'm, I'm meant to say beer, but for, for whatever reason, my um, Aussies like to drink beers, but for whatever reason, I never became a beer fan, so... Australians has Australia makes a lot of good white wine, so there was a lot of white wine consumed when you're trying to uh, do endless playtesting. Yeah, and you have to lure you. The, the other thing you have to do, um, you, you have to do, Dave and Jeff, is to, to lure a playtester over. You, you go, oh, I just want to playtest this one more time, and you get this sort of silence at the end of the phone <laughs> so then you go not only when you come come straight from work I'll I'll, 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 I'll give you three beers and a, and a free feed yeah. and then they sort of trundle out there <laughs> I hope they're still in uh, good shape for playtesting hopefully you don't get them too yeah, uh, they, snookered they... <laughs> well well he's Here's the other thing. There's a couple of guys that when they play test, they'll they'll do it for two or three turns, and then if if it's not holding up that well, they might sort of throw in the towel a bit. But often you want to play test it right the way through, because then you can sort of make the adjustment. It's easy to make an adjustment once you play a scenario through. So the other trick and reason why alcohol helps is usually you might finish your game early because it's a bit one-sided, but you've got to play it all the way through. So you say, oh, I'll just get you another beer. Let's just play another turn or two. <laughs> Good advice. I, I was going to ask you, because we always like to ask, do you have advice for uh, other people that are maybe thinking about designing a module? Wow, there we go. Get your play testers yeah, a little. Um, how, how to lure in the play testers and keep them coming back. Yeah, the alcohol. Yeah. yeah. The other the other thing is, is when you um, design it, I would, I would try and play it yourself two or three times, and I, I would, I'd pick a side and play the same side myself two or three times, but have a good think about what what a solid defence is and play the same way, um, and, the, and the reason I do that, you. you 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 just want to see if it, the the rough size of it, the rough mechanics hold up. So you got to play it like with a, the same way. So um, you you get a sort of a, a core base of the scenario. Mm. Um, don't do anything too funky. Um, you know, don't do anything silly or whatever. Just play it the same way, and if it works and it feels like you've roughly got the right size forces, then then outsource the playtesting. The, sec- the second thing I found is this. 
most of the scenarios that I see play well have roughly the same amount of um, size in terms of squads, unless one squad said side has a very defensive, well-fortified position. So that once you get the rough squad number of squads worked out, you're just trying to work out different quality of the troops. So if you find that one side's a bit weak, don't go out and subtract squads. Improve their quality. Make them a few more elite squads. Give them a few more machine guns. Give them slightly better leadership. Yeah. Because generally, once you get the squad number worked out, it's just going to become a quality question to, to balance it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. They're the two things. Well, we'll probably be wrapping up the interview soon. Do you have anything you'd like to add that we have not asked? No, no, it's been fantastic uh, talking to you. Um, it's been a great opportunity. Uh, you know, thank yourself. The, the American ASL community, I'd really like to thank. I've been over there four times to ASLOC. Uh, it's, been, it's been great fun every time. Good. I'm hoping that if I go over there, maybe not this year, but no, definitely not this year, but next year I should be over there, have a lot of fun there. So uh, uh, thank you to the American uh, gaming community for putting up with me during that time. <laughs> well, I we appreciate all the work that you've done uh, on Hatton and Flames. It's a very, very nice product. I think we can... We can definitely endorse it. We're Absolutely. giving it the Dave and Jeff uh, in seal of endorsement. Yep, two mm-hmm. thumbs up. Our <laughs> approval. And uh, now you, right. you had mentioned okay. that you had two other projects that you were sort of thinking about before you landed on the Hatton. Are you going to go back to those maybe and revive those as your next project? Yeah, I, I thought yeah. I wouldn't. And I had a conversation with some others and chairs and stuff and um, came up with some slightly more Australian-flavored one, so oh, um, yeah. we've got a action pack that we're looking to submit that has a, a good portion of Australian scenarios, but a lot of lot of different nationalities. And we've got a mini campaign game, which is PTO designed, which is Australians versus Japanese, um, on a historical map. Early war as well, um, which is a free-flowing encounter. We're not, we're not talking about bunkers or caves or anything like that or, or many vehicles. It's just a, a flowing battle. Um, so that'll be part of another submission. So it's all looking quite good. Um, good. But it always takes a long time to get anything published. Yes. Well, hopefully uh, things will move along and we'll have another very good excuse to, to give, you a, give call. you a call and yeah. talk about ASL again. We would like that. Oh, definitely. Look forward to it. Yeah, we thank yeah. you thank you a lot for this, this interview, and uh, the, Thanks, the whole community thanks you also for your work there and for right. giving us uh, the sound of your voice and a lot more information <laughs> to entertain us. So, yeah, thank you. Fantastic. Thanks for your time. All, All right. right. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. See you then. Bye. That was Andy Rogers, super duper guy. Indeed, very um, very fun. Yeah. Look forward to to meeting him at ASLOC in 2020. Although it's not a promise that we'll be No. <laughs> Watch, he'll show up and we won't. Yeah. 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 I'm just like, yeah. 
Oh, do you well, know what's I, horrible? I what? started the youth work on Wednesdays. The youth work? What's At that? church youth group. Oh. Is that what kind of work is that? It's, you feed them or something? You clean out their stalls? <laughs> no, you their teach stalls? them and... You teach them? And counsel them and all kinds of fun things. Oh, okay. But, but there's trips, which are the Florida one I mentioned before. Yeah. And uh, some other one. And I'm like, well, now that I'm an official leader, I better put them all on my calendar. Each one of them falls on an AS, ASL tournament that I was going no. to. No. Yeah. Really? Of course, because it's the longer weekend or it's the spring break. And Kansas City, guys, I was really going with Laura because our friend moved to Kansas City. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, you, you go to that tournament, we'll go visit Karen, we'll visit our other friends, and then the, I think it's the Florida trip put, knocks it out. So I know I won't be going this year to many tournaments. you got to change well, churches. Think, Why don't you just change yeah, we, churches? Wouldn't that be quit, easier? Quit you working with the youth. Yeah. Well, I told them, I said, this year I'll do all the trips, but plan in the future I'll be skipping out <coughs> on a few of these. Yeah. So, but but that I think there, there's plenty of others to choose from. St. Louis still is maybe open. Okay. Good to know. All right, great Thanks, interview. Thanks, I wanted, wanted to let everyone know now on the air why everybody's I looking be. at their calendars. Like, oh, Dave is coming. Oh no, Unless he's not they coming. Can move They're it. putting big X's through yeah. whole months. They're gonna want. We will post Dave's uh, youth group calendar <laughs> so that you all can keep abreast of that. But uh, until then, thanks we, for listening. Yes, thanks, and remember to roll low and rally well, but, but not, not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye, everybody.